Welcome back to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast. With me this time out, once again, Michael Lavonia from Twittering Machines. Welcome, Michael. Uh, it's good to be here again. Now, Michael, last time we did the whole grumpy old man thing. <laughs> yes, we did. So I think this time we should do the happy old man thing, right? Like the things yeah. that we enjoy. And today we're going to talk about physical formats. Now, I guess we should say straight out of the gate, this is not a, we're going to compare physical formats to streaming. Because as you and I have privately discussed many times, it's a different experience. And this is not meant to be some kind of, it's not a competition, right? It's, it's not, not a shootout. We're not going to have a shootout. <laughs> no, we're not going to have a shootout. No. <laughs> So, mm. sorry, I'm sipping my tea because it's it's Friday evening and this is technically the end of my working week, even though it's not because I'll be editing video again tomorrow. But but when you say tea, so you that's like a code word then. Actually, no, I'm drinking tea. I did think about pouring out a whiskey, but I thought, yeah, I just, no, I don't trust myself to not to talk more crap than usual. So I just thought I'd keep it safe, you know? <laughs> Especially with you on the other end. <laughs> so mm. I, I think our rough plan was that I would sort of stump for CDs and you would metaphorically stump for vinyl. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, because you and I are both very much into physical format still alongside streaming. I think that's the important thing to say here, isn't it? Like we do everything really, right? Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's um, the full course meal I want. Right, because, I mean, you and I both cover Rune a lot. I think, actually, you write about Rune more than me, or maybe not. I don't know, but whatever. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it's pretty obvious that both of us are into Rune. But, you know, it's it's funny because, actually, um, a well-known British audio engineer emailed me this morning just asking if people commented on the fact that I – was still putting CDs in my videos, which is a very good question, mm, you know, yeah. because I just put up that video about the Wilson Audio Tune Tots and it's very CD heavy. And I think I did that because the previous video was, was it Rune Rock? Or was it something else? I don't know, but I did a lot of streaming. So I'm trying to sort of like throw it around into different areas and nobody really complains when I, you know, use CDs as props, because I guess it's implicit that they're also ripped to my rune server. But the point I was trying to make to this person was that given that the audio world is full of, well, not full of, but that there is more than our fair share of disagreeable people who are very easily triggered. No one seems to care or com wants to comment negatively on the fact that I'm still using CDs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I, while I know we're going to stay positive, um, I will just share the obvious, and that is when uh, when reviewers talk about playing records, mm -hmm. that's not always met with the same indifference or acceptance, let's just say. Really? Okay. You think that that's more controversial for some people? Yeah, for some people, yeah. But again, that's just, you know, that was just a, a footnote right, to move okay. on from. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, because... It might seem that I'm, I, you know, I when I'm talking about this, 
I say that I'm still using CDs, which is a bit of a, it's a bit of a red herring really, because that's not technically true, because that would suggest that I never gave up on CDs in about 2005 hmm. and sold some of them and put the rest into storage, um, which is exactly what I did. And, you know, I, once I ripped all my collection in the mid-noughties, yeah, everything went into storage, I sold it. Mm-hmm. And I've only really started buying CDs again in the last two years, three years. And I mean really in earnest, like seriously big collection because they're so damn cheap. So do you go, do you, do you buy the majority of them from a physical store or are you buying online? Um, well, before the pandemic, yeah, it was, there are a couple of very good secondhand CD stores in Berlin. Mm. So I, I would go in there and, you know, spend a couple of hundred bucks and get tons of CDs. Like you'd get four records out of that or five records and they just get so many CDs. Um, but since the pandemic, it's a sort of mixture of Amazon Discogs, Bandcamp, um, and then also Amazon resellers. So like smaller companies that sell through the Amazon network, yeah. Yeah. if you like. But my generally, yeah, I guess these days, my, my, my biggest or most common port of call is Discogs. Yeah, one of the reasons I ask is because yeah, pre-COVID, mm. uh, part of uh, part of the appeal of uh, records for me is shopping for records, going somewhere, and it's even yes. better when you go with friends mm-hmm. into a record shop, and mm. you know, which I've done countless times, and um, you know, I certainly miss that, and I hope to get back to it. Uh, I'm sure we will at some point, but you know, that <clears throat> brings in this idea of, uh, the, the, the entire experience you know, of, of interact, you know, of physical formats, mm. you know, there's a lot more to it than, uh, simply, uh, sound <laughs> or. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, you've touched on a, a point that I think I've made and maybe ad nauseum in the past, but I'll make it again here is that, you know, when I used to go shopping for records when I was traveling, it because record stores, you know, they're not booming businesses. So they generally are located in cheaper parts of town, you know, where the rent is more affordable for them. And usually they're the more, I guess, colorful parts of town or they're the parts of town you wouldn't normally go to as a tourist. Yeah. So, you know, going, I went all around Tokyo twice, mm. you know, going to every disc union and I could, you know, could find on the map. Back then it was for vinyl and I had a ball going to all these strange areas and walking, you know, I'd, I'd end up walking between stores because it you know, was you know, reasonably interesting, but just in a, in the general sense, buying physical formats has allowed me to kind of experience parts of cities that I would never have, you know, probably ventured into had I not been looking for records to buy, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've had that experience as well. And the other thing I find with record shops is they almost have, you know, depending on where they are, they they each have their own personality, if you will. Absolutely, yeah. And that personality can influence, uh, certainly with me, it certainly can influence what I buy. You know, something I mm-hmm. may not have otherwise come across. You know, it's like that discovery, right. um, the discovery aspect of, of shopping for physical media is, is a lot of fun. It is. And it's also... I mean, I guess, especially with vinyl, it's 
it's pretty damned expensive sometimes. <laughs> you know, it can be an outing can cost be. you. It doesn't have to. Be. I know. Well, it depends upon your level of self control and what you're looking for, I guess. But or you know what you end up buying. Yeah, I mean it doesn't. Yeah, I mean like for me, my the most local shop is uh, Princeton Record Exchange, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> they do a, a really a bustling business. So mm-hmm. that the um, the new release, the, or so not new release, the uh, the new record, the new used record bins yeah. turn over like at least every other week or something. And it's a lot of records and most of those records in there are not expensive. I'm, you know, eight to $15 or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Tell me, cause I, I mean, cause I've been to Princeton record exchange once about five or six years ago, mm. but I don't recall if they did CDs as well. Or was it just vinyl? Oh, they do CDs as well. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, cause this tends to be a little bit forgotten, you know, the secondhand CD market in, in the physical sense. Yeah, um, uh, they have a, a, a relatively large section. It's as soon as you come in, it's on the left. And, you know, because CDs take up so much less space, it might be deceptive, you mm-hmm. know, real estate-wise, square footage-wise. But, you know, they have a lot of CDs. Mm. You know, I know I said we, I wasn't going to make it sort of a competition or, or this versus that. But you can't but, help yourself. Well, <laughs> okay. So, you know, between 2013 and, and the present day, I was, you know, I was and am buying vinyl. And one thing I always, not dread, but, you know, kind of worry about slightly is transit damage. So if I'm buying a record in the mail, or if it arrives in the mail, I don't really know what's going to happen to it on the way and something's going to get dinged. I mean, I, I, you know, countless records have had the the corner dinged or the, the, mm. the seam is split in transit, presumably mm. in transit anyway. And I don't have that level of mild anxiety about CDs at all. You know, I just don't care. Sure. It's, 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 they rarely get damaged in transit. And if the case breaks, it's easily replaceable, right? Yeah. Plastic, yeah. Yeah, plastic, yeah. So I guess that's one thing that I really like about buying CDs is that, <laughs> you know, they're, they're cheaper, almost always cheaper than records. Or, or, yeah, invariably so. And, yeah, they don't get damaged very easily. And another point I'll make early on is they're super easy to store compared to vinyl. I mean, and move. (laughs) Yeah. So when you move house, right. This is why my Australian record collection is still sat in Melbourne. Yeah. Because I kind of missed the boat and now shipping prices are so expensive. You mean literally missed the boat? Well, yeah. I I don't know. I'm going to have to fly them out because I don't want to put them on a boat and run the risk of them being on the top container on the boat and ca- catching, you know, 18 hours of sun every day. Yeah. Mm. But so you, it's I a mean, private chartered jet then for your records? It will be <laughs> exactly that, yes. <laughs> I shall go and pick them up by hand in my yes, private chartered jet. But you, I mean, you had a had a break from reviewing and therefore a break from buying records. Was that right? Well, yeah, it was even a, a more a dramatic break than that. Mm. Um, yeah, when I took, when I took my, um, leave of absence Mm -hmm. from Twittering machines, I ended up doing a, a a complete purge, um, Mm. which included my record collection and my, uh, book collection, Mm -hmm. my library. Yeah. Sold it all, everything except for, you know, I kept a few, uh, books and records 
you know, that were had some special, you mm-hmm. know, attachment. Um, so yeah, I'm in the process of building a new, building new libraries, mm-hmm. books and records, which is really kind of exciting. <laughs> right. You know, it's funny. It's like, you know, there was some, you know, when the people came to take the books and the records away, uh, I sold my records to Princeton Record Exchange. Mm-hmm. So they came and took them. You know, there was some uh, uh, separation anxiety, <laughs> but sure. But also, it was in a way f- oddly freeing. Completely. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I'm starting essentially from near scratch with both, mm. uh, again, books and records, and um, uh, I'm having a ball with it. Do you think you make sec- make different choices like the second time around? Absolutely. Mm, yeah, I'm because- not, yes, it's n- totally the case, and it's mm. uh, I'll get off the book thing, but it is com- was completely the same with both books and records. Mm. I had massive massive amounts of each that I didn't want to have, mm. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, once you get into that collector mode, uh, you tent your um, uh, you know, your gauges get out of whack and you, at least I tend to buy things willy nilly with not a lot mm. of discretion. <laughs> right. So I, I'm, I am exhibiting much more discretion these days <clears throat> with every purchase. You know, it's super interesting because, because I had a sort of, a, 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 yeah, essentially a 15 year break from buying CDs hmm. And the the sort of CD collection that I sold or put into storage in Australia, um, it featured a lot of CD singles that I'd purchased, you know, from probably 1990 to 2004. CD singles, either that I wouldn't buy again or are a pain to get hold of, or actually more interestingly, have, you know, their B-sides and their sort of extra tracks that is the really the the draw card for those things they've subsequently been released on sort of deluxe editions of albums so it's almost like or they've been compiled into sort of box sets or whatever you know sure you don't need to go and buy you know 10 underworld singles now because they've come out on the the deluxe editions of the the first two albums or most of them have you know so there's probably the odd outlier or and i did find actually that many of the with many of those cd singles i just thought nah can't be bothered because here's the other point I'm into different stuff now, right? Sure. I don't, my tastes have obviously changed, as you know, people's tastes tend to do. And ideally, <laughs> yeah. But also, when I started buying CDs again, I think it was the start of 2018. I was like, right, okay, what do I really like? You know, because it is a clean slate, and you're probably going through that at the moment. I would think. Sure. And yeah, I mean, I found that also very freeing because you can really just be very clear to yourself and at the start and this is this happened when i started buying vinyl again in 2014 was that like right i'm just gonna buy the classics the classics for me just the the albums that i really truly love Mm -hmm. but over the over time it's kind of like been oh just get that you know peel session Oh, I'll just get that special edition, you know, or that thing with that was remastered with the extra live disc, you know. So you get that feature creep, and now I'm fully back into just buying CDs like I always did, you know. Right, right, right. With a little, I mean, luckily they're so cheap that it's it it almost has no effect on my personal finances. But if this were vinyl, it really would. 
Well, so let me get this straight. You're saying CDs are cheap. <laughs> yes. And vinyls are more expensive. Absolutely, I am. I mean, I know that's yes. Captain Obvious, you know, but... No, I know. But, oh, so I thought, actually, it brings to mind one uh, baseline I think we should introduce. Mm. And that is, uh, I grew up uh, before the CD. Yes, right. Okay. So, so when I was a kid, I, I, I bought records. Mm. Um, how, uh, and I'd imagine that's not the same for you. Actually, not true. So ah. in the first three years of me sort of discovering, well, when I first discovered Talking Heads and David Bowie, mm. I bought and Peter Gabriel and all those kind of things. I bought vinyl. And then about three years after that, my mm. dad bought his first CD player. Uh, yeah. And I was like, wow, you know, I can buy. And I think the first CD I bought was, and no, I know it was, it was the Singular Adventures of the Style Council. And I, like it was a compilation. <laughs> like, hey, don't laugh. I bought it again. I love that album. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I'm laughing because, you know, these, we remember these things. Yeah. Because they're important to us. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I, I guess no, I do remember thinking, thank God all the surface noise is gone. That was my first thought, <laughs> right? I didn't, I mean, there was no, I, I mean, how I was I like 16? I, mean, I wasn't thinking about tonal color and all the things I think about now. In fact, for most of my life, I haven't thought like an audiophile to that extreme. Hmm. I was just, I wasn't even really thinking, or maybe I was thinking this is maybe clearer, but maybe I'd bought into the marketing. I don't know. I mean, there was 16 income. But one thing that I do remember from the 80s was that when they were really trying to push the CD, they would often load, you know, the CD version with extra tracks. Yes. Yep. Or in the case of a few Talking Heads albums, extended versions of those tracks. Right. So, which is kind of unusual now to think like that. And they did that with the cassette as well. Um, so the cassette and the CD always seem to get special treatment. I think maybe because record companies were really trying to push vinyl out the door. I don't know, but. But yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, that's a, it, that's an actual. That's a funny th topic for me. The extra, the bonus tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, in that, I, for some kinds of music like jazz, mm -hmm. uh, and and even I, I guess it's even more specific than that. But there are some albums that mm -hmm. are clearly um, just a thing in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And when you add bonus tracks, it just screws it all up. To my, uh, to to my mind. It can do, yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. I don't want. I just don't want it. I, you know, I don't want those. I don't want to. You know, and even you know now with streaming. You know, if I if I end up streaming, uh, like Mal Waldron's "The Quest," which is a old favorite record. Mm. You know, I'll just I won't play the bonus tracks because I don't. You know, I just want the the album experience. Mm. I you guess. Know, I mean, the, yeah, yeah. And that was the you know. Yeah, it, well, you know, and that is an aspect of two physical media. And that is, uh, you know, 78s had a time limit. Mm. LPs had a time limit. Uh, and that's what we're kind of talking about here. Mm -hmm. And um, I've read, and it's been, has certainly been suggested, that uh, early blues recordings were so strong because they were forced to, you know, to record and produce something that was just a few minutes long. Mm. You know, you didn't have an hour to to make your message. You you know, if you're releasing a 78, I don't recall really off the top of my head how much how many minutes per side, but it's not much. 
Mm. You know, so the idea, you'd never have Inagata DeVita on a 78. <laughs> it wasn't physically possible. Mm. But, so, I, mean, you know, I mean, hasn't that been the case throughout history where the way, the, the type of music that is made is gen, is often, sorry, not generally, but often sort of steered by the delivery format? So, I mean, I think well, David, sure. Yeah, with yeah. CD, I mean, um, since you're the CD guy, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there is that story about how they did Sony, right? Determine mm -hmm. the length of a CD, and it was to fit a specific Beethoven piece, wasn't it? I think it was some classical piece, because th they were going after the classical market, yeah. first of all, because they knew that the classical market would love the fact there was no surface noise on a CD. That was really where the take-up first ignited i think yeah and you play through mm. you know, but there's I, no flipping records just play right. through the whole symphony yeah but it's interesting because as i've got older and i've you know been listening to well, listening to music i guess I properly seriously i don't know as a fan since the mid 80s uh, really the cd era ushered in the sort of the the longer album so albums, be, you know, became fifty minutes, became an hour. Yeah. Um, and nowadays, I re I really do believe that this is a personal truth. This is not mm. a, like an absolute truth. Is that the perfect album is forty minutes, yeah. eight, so <laughs> eight, eight songs, twenty minutes per side, right? The, the, the essentially the, the vinyl format, right? Because yes, it, it is just the, the just the right length. It, I'd have to, you know, yeah. I know this is very um, subjective. <clears throat> but I agree. And I'm finding a lot of the records that that I'm buying and enjoying mm. uh new new releases these days are fit that format. You know, they're they're mm. 40 some odd minutes. Yeah. I mean, I actually I I actually pulled out a bunch of CDs just the the stuff that I'd bought in the last couple of weeks. Mm. Um and or has you know has arrived in the last week. And one of them actually here is a is a, a huge, huge compilation of remixes by an outfit called Plaid, who used to be on Warp Records. And this is their, they did a, a sort of charity compilation of remixes for Touched Music, who uh, donate all the proceeds to cancer research. Ah, nice. So, yeah. it, I mean, it's reason enough to buy it. It's on Bandcamp yes. as well as a download. But the CD was actually quite hard, quite hard to get hold of. And I missed the boat and I had to pull some strings to get a copy. Um, but it's in this really nice sort of like book, I haven't even opened it yet, but it's this book-sized um, CD wallet. I think there are two CDs in here, maybe even three. But, I mean, this is a gargantuan listen. I would never sit down and listen to the whole thing in one afternoon. I would probably play one disc one day and then one disc another. Hmm. So that's really, I mean, but that's a compilation. But I guess I'm, I'm actually a lot of these are compilations. Oh, my God. They're almost all compilations or old man music. Oh, my goodness. I've really screwed myself here. <laughs> But, you know, like, well, I mean, what? Yeah, go on. Sorry. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Bandcamp, and and that Bandcamp is the main source uh, of my record buying. Mm -hmm. It just so happens to be the case that most of the music I'm interested in is available through Bandcamp. And, of course, mm -hmm. you know, one of the wonderful things about Bandcamp is if if you buy physical media, you get the download. Yeah, I guess this is something that still irks me in many respects is that, you know, I know that music is essentially free on streaming, 
but you would think that record labels would want to well, well they would want to i don't know i mean I, I can't speak to how record labels are motivated but i would love to see with every vinyl bought that you get a lossless download not some bullshit mp3 download which i always throw away because it's pointless because i can just punch it in on spotify at any time like right well with bandcamp yeah i mean you every record i've purchased from bandcamp came with the lossless download Mm. and the thing about bandcamp is you you have an option you have the choice you could download an mp3 a iff flack wave whatever you want Mm. um and again it's that so let's just say a typical release uh uh, the download is let's say ten dollars Mm-hmm. And the record is 18. Mm. So I always go, you know, I always buy the record. It's, it's yeah. like eight, eight bucks for a record. Yeah, I'll do that. And then I get the download and I have the best of both worlds. See, I often find that the, the shipping on the vinyl kills my you know, desire to buy the record because it <laughs> generally doubles the price, especially if it's coming from the USA. I mean, it's, it depends upon where the artist is or where the record label is. Yeah, I get. Yeah, I guess most of the. It's just thinking most of the records I buy, I buy from U.S. sources. Right. See, this is where the CD comes in really handy because if the shipping on the vinyl is too much, let's say that the yeah, the, the the download is ten euros, for example, but the CD might only be fourteen, and the yeah. shipping is three or four dollars. So I'll, I'll I'll take the CD because, and this is we you are know, the old man component in me. I get the artwork and the booklet and you know the the notes if they exist, and it's it is a compromise on the vinyl, but it's a compromise that I'm okay with because I'm not spending thirty five euros on having the vinyl shipped to me from the USA to Germany. Yeah, yeah, sure. <clears throat> so, yeah. and I actually don't bother to you know if I buy the CD, I don't bother to download the flack from Bandcamp because I just rip the CD when it arrives. Sure, but it is nice that whatever you do on Bandcamp, you pretty much always get the download of your choosing, right? Because if you want MP3, you can have it, but it's nice to have the choice, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. So tell me, like, how do you decide when you buy a vinyl or when you just buy the download? Like, because you can't buy the vinyl on everything, right? um, Maybe you can. (laughs) Not everything, but certainly Mm. the majority. Mm. I buy the vinyl. Right. But I'm not buying in bulk. (laughs) No, of course. You know, that's the thing. But so here, I mean, really the way it is, the way it's work works for me these days for the most part is, uh, using rune and especially rune radio. Mm. Um, you know, that's my discovery machine. Mm hmm. And then when I find myself listening to something over and over and over, I just go buy it. Mm. You know, those, those uh, new records that stand out and, and bear repeat plays, um, I end up buying. Mm. So, and it is mostly new releases. I have uh, done a few rebuys (laughs) records mm-hmm. i used to have um that i sold but that is that's a handful uh so far anyway mm-hmm. uh it's most so it's mostly new releases and it's mostly uh 
Bandcamp. But, uh, you know, again, yeah, budget. I'm certainly, uh, I don't have an unlimited budget for these things. So, you know, I'm, I have to be picky. Yeah, of course. I mean, I don't know about you, but one of the reasons that, well, I think me and many people buy from Bandcamp is because we know a larger portion of our money is going direct to the artist. Absolutely. That's also a draw, isn't it? I mean, I know, you know, we're not buying these things, you know, as a, as a charitable expense or, you know, to, well, not to necessarily help the artist though. In some cases, I guess that may be the case, but like it's, it's a, it is a business transaction. I give you money, you send me a CD or a record, but it is nice to know that of the money that's going out, what is it? Is it, it's 90%. Is it? No, it's 85% that goes to the artist. Is that right? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but I do know, you know, Bandcamp is continuing this campaign they call Bandcamp Fridays. Yeah, yeah. And that's when I think um, all the proceeds go to the artist. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. yeah. Other than that, yeah, the, uh, the bulk, certainly the bulk of, of, you know, the money that you pay for a record goes mm. to the artist when you buy from Bandcamp. And mm. the other thing I like about Bandcamp is, you know, every single thing, it's like, uh, it's a suggested price, a minimum suggested, mm-hmm. you know, so it's 10, but you can pay more. And I, I've absolutely done that. Mm. I've absolutely paid, you know, not, you know, double, but I've added, you know, I've paid more sometimes when, I mean, really based on how much I've enjoyed the record. And right. it's like, you know, I mean, you're supporting an artist you like. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know, that is something that um, I'm sure for most people translates into their other activities in their lives. You know, I tend to buy from stores, especially small local general stores where we are, where, mm. you know, where I like the people who own it and work there. Mm-hmm. And I avoid those places where I don't like the people. Right. You know, it's the same even with hi-fi equipment. You know, I like the story behind the company. Uh, you know, so anyway, yeah, the idea that I'm supporting uh, the artist by buying a record um, is important. That's all. Mm. You know, you know, it's certainly, um, you know, with streaming, you're just so disconnected. And there's no connection almost in any significant way financially uh, between enjoying someone's music and and what they get out of it well yeah because even when i'm buying a cd on amazon i know that more of my money is going to the artist eventually than even if i stream that album on spotify or wherever you know 50 times yeah i mean it's just so even though amazon is is kind of the devil well yeah the devil that we all need but mm. or seem to need it's still it's still preferable to streaming. And like you, I buy the things that I really, really like. So for example, actually, it came out today, um, but I did wait till I could hear some previews before I, I dropped my money on it, is um, Neil Young's Way Down in the Rust Bucket, which is a live album from, I think, mm-hmm. 90 or 91, which just preceded the World Tour. And it's 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 surprisingly fantastic. And uh, it sounds really it good. Hmm. It's like a double CD, but it's that, you know, it's like... For me, it's peak era Neil Young. I mean, many people point to the sort of the mid to the late 70s, but I think that early 90s period was just, he was on fire during mm. the, you know, the three-year window between, say, Ragged Glory and Harvest Moon. Like, just untouchable. And you can hear it in this recording. You can hear that his guitar playing, 
He's yeah. like some he's somewhere else, which yeah. is I know that's a kind of a hippie thing to say, but I was just playing the CD before. This is actually why I was late coming to this podcast because I thought, no, I need to <laughs> I need to hear like two songs off this CD because a because I wanted to say something about it here, but also because I was curious. I want to know how it sounds, and it's it's just it's just glorious. Hmm. But I I didn't buy the vinyl because so get this that I think it's a four LP set. I think it's like 80 or 90 euros, maybe even more. And the double CD was like 18. Yeah. And that's expensive because normally, well, Neil Young's releases tend to be more expensive anyway. But I thought, I'm not paying four times the money just to get this on vinyl when I can still have part of, part of, or an approximation of that sort of ritual, the physical playback ritual, which has been done to death. And I don't really want to go over it again today, but like, you know, that, that kind of ritual... <clears throat> in playing back a physical format. Right, right, right. You right. know, I think yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, what I find surprising, and I, I still do, it, it's nearly every day I'm surprised by this, but a new release, like today, for example, Julian Baker had a new record that came out today. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, you know Julian Baker, uh, well, Phoebe Bridgers and um, Lucy, uh, I've never heard her name pronounced actually. Ducasse, I would guess. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they, they do a single on this, but they also, all three of them, release an album under the name of Boy Genius. Anyway, mm-hmm. so it's music I like. She just came out with a new record today. So I went mm-hmm. and looked at the release. And, you know, it's typically the case these days that they're, you know, Rough Trade has their edition, which is splatter, yellow, marble, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And they were... It's always the case that I'm too late, and all those spec limited editions are sold out. So clearly, mm. you know, I mean, this is anecdotal, but who gives a shit? <laughs> I mean, it's my. And it, no, I'm just saying, it's like I'm just surprised that like these things disappear. There are lots of people out there, and th- you know, this is uh, uh, new music, and I'd as- I'd assume that the majority of the audience for it are uh, my daughter's age. Mm. So you know, just somebody out there is, is scooping up and enjoying the idea of getting these limited edition vinyl releases, and they'll cost you know three dollars more or something than the regular mm. black vinyl. But but I guess part of the enjoyment, the, the it is enjoyment or pleasure of buying something like that that's limited, even in the even in the sort of the main pressing run, especially of vinyl, you're still buying something that nobody else has. You know what I mean? And and Oh sure. <laughs> and your yeah. vi- your vinyl copy isn't the same as somebody else's vinyl copy because it will vary even in a very minor way. I mean, this is less the case with CDs, but I think that exclusivity f- feeling like you own something that very few other people have is a is a nice feeling. That's part of what you're buying, especially with those sort of splattered yellow or colored vinyls. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, said, sure. oh, God, I just said vinyls. Oh my god, just shoot me. Um <laughs> Fuck. If I could, I would, but you know. <laughs> but I do reach. Roll- <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. But I do sort of roll my eyes when I see colored vinyl being pushed more and more because I know it's a business thing. The record companies have obviously worked out that, you know, this shit yeah. sells, so why not? Yeah. But it does or maybe this is a purist in me just getting riled a little bit, or maybe I'm just being a bit of a grumpy old man. Um, is that, yeah, it, 
Or are just, you going to yeah. say it doesn't sound as good as that? <laughs> no, actually, I wasn't because it, oh, okay. Well, I, we'll come back to that. But <laughs> I just, I just feel it like making it all sort of Fisher Price colors. Mm-hmm. Just to me, I don't know why, and maybe this is because I grew up with black vinyl. It just cheapens the whole thing a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's just, it doesn't. But I, well, I don't feel the same way. I mean, right. in every case I've seen, um, the the all the different color variations are limited, mm. and you know the regular old black vinyl is unlimited. So it's a choice. You're not forced to buy splatter yellow. <laughs> you know, like for grumpy old men like you, you always yeah. Buy. I put my hand up to that. <laughs> the, the regular, and you know, I've I've made that choice. You know, when price mm. was, you know, a concern in a particular release. You know, I've begrudgingly bought the regular old black. But like, I can't tell you how excited I was when Phoebe Bridgers re-released Punisher in some mm. new colors because I missed out on the first limited. So I actually got you know some uh, neon green. I think it is version of. See, I I don't know. Like, I don't really give a shit what color my vinyl is. Mm. I, I really, this is. I think this is the point. I don't. I'm not swayed either way. In fact, generally, if I'll if I see a color. Like David Bowie did all these gold ones. Well, not David mm. Bowie. David Bowie's estate. And I'm like, oh, really? Why? <laughs> but, but well, I guess, yeah, I guess coloured vinyl just it annoys me as much as the red hot chili peppers does. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't own any red vinyl, red hot chili peppers records? <laughs> uh, no, absolutely no way. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, it's just another of these personal quirks. You it know, is. I, I, I am. I have many. Uh, thankfully, I don't. Unless you ask <laughs> anyone who knows me, right? <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I happen to be very visually oriented, mm-hmm. like you know. So, and you know, certainly, uh, yeah, I get excited by even colors. <laughs> so, but, but what do you think about picture discs? Uh, I, I've owned. I at present, I don't think I own any. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I sold my records, I had uh, really maybe five, mm. you know, so they have to be super, super special mm. and something I'm not really interested in playing. Right. Because it's they more don't like this item. Right. Cause they don't sound very good. They, no, they, they actually, they, they do sound far inferior to a, like a, a black vinyl or even a colored vinyl. Really? I mean, yeah. I think the only one I own at the moment is Grace Jones's Slave to the Rhythm. Yeah, well, like, right. I mean, some, some, yeah, the reason I owned some was I could not say no. <laughs> but I think I bought that one because I was in a really grumpy mood, hard to believe, I know. And I was, <laughs> it was one of those, you know, do you ever have these days where you go out and you want to buy a record or a CD or whatever, and there's, you can't find anything you want yes. to buy? Yes. And it's really frustrating. And it's like, it's a feeling like, I, like no other and it's an emptiness isn't it it's oh like god <laughs> it's just and i bought the grace jones picture disc on that day because i like i just want to buy something i don't care which is <laughs> it's kind of obscene really but yeah but i don't know like it got me out of the house so <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> which is honestly i know we've been making a joke about that but 
I know this is something we sort of started the conversation with, you know, buying physical formats does get you out of the house. Like you cannot, well, you can buy them online, but it's more fun to go to a store, isn't it? I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And I have to say, I mean, for me, especially when I was younger, but thankfully it, it still exists today. Playing records is a so is is a largely a social activity. Buying mm. records, playing records, collecting records. You know, like I've bought records uh, for friends just because mm. I, you know, I, you know what I mean. Uh-huh. But so the whole experience, uh, uh, certainly when we were kids. I mean, you rarely ever, you know, certainly at late at night you'd listen to records by yourself, but. The majority of the time, whatever record you bought, you were telling every all your friends about it, and they eventually came over so that you could listen to that record. Mm-hmm. And you listened to the whole record. Yeah. You didn't like go, oh, here, wait, here's like the first five seconds of this track. <laughs> you know, like some, it's like that's the one, one of the rubs again I have against uh, even Rune, you know, that, it, you know, at hi fi shows, I noticed that once uh, streaming came up and the iPad remote was a thing, mm. people were jumping tracks before they even finished them. You know, it's like, wow. So I, I, anyway, all that to say that when, when, when I was a kid, you know, listening to records was a, a social, ev- a big social event, and you'd listen to the whole thing. Mm. You see, I was too young to like have a social life around records, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I did go to mates' houses every now and again, but the, my sort of social experience with, well, I guess with music didn't really kick off until I went to university. And like every Friday and Saturday night, we'd gather in somebody's, because I stayed in the halls of residence, like, and we'd gather in somebody's room with this, like a stack of CDs. Yeah. And by the end of the evening, before we went out somewhere else, like there'd be CDs everywhere. But we would always play... You know, like it would, we'd take it in turns and play one song each and it would always be the full song and no song would ever be skipped. I mean, you'd be crucified if you, were, yeah, you did yeah, that. Yeah. And I think there's a special place in hell for, for people, <laughs> reserved for people who, I, I'm, it's a streaming disease that I just don't have, right? Because Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I listen so to records. Yeah, yeah. There, was a, there was a guy who emailed me from from the UK last weekend and he wanted to ask me questions about my attitude to streaming as part of his PhD research because he was writing this mm. enormous dissertation. Now, ordinarily I would say, no, I'm too busy because I really am. But mm. for him, I thought, no, he's doing some studies and you know, I can go out on my bike. I can talk to him while I'm cycling around. And we did that. And we actually chatted for like three hours. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a huge conversation about streaming, but the one thing that I really wanted to impress upon him was that, even though I do stream, I'm still very much an albums or EPs kind of guy in that when I play a punch something into Rune or whatever, I mean, it's obvious with CDs and vinyl, but when I play something in Rune or on Spotify, I play the whole album. I don't, I mean, I'll let Rune run and go into Rune Radio, but it's always an album first or an EP. Yeah. And I'm never there for like just one song. Like, oh, I just got to play that one song. no. If it's an auteurs or like I've got a Julian Cope album in front of me here, like I'll just play the whole thing and, and let that go because it was designed that way. I mean, if you want to talk about as the artist intended, it's mm. right there in the album format, I think. But oh, I, yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I, I'm in this. Yeah, I, I function the same way. I mean, to such an extent that I shy away from and rarely buy 
any kind of greatest hits or variation thereof mm. unless there's a very good reason for mm-hmm. that like you know previously unreleased that i need to have or something mm-hmm. and in my well currently and pretty much for the last forever <laughs> i have i've made one playlist in room yeah i make them for my audience but i don't i'm not a playlist person yeah and, it, and i made that that playlist it's for review for work you know I, I that's where I save music that I use over and over again, right? You know, from review right. to review to review. So, but you know, this I was this this other thing I said to this this um, guy who was doing his PhD. I, I said that you often hear the argument against the album format is that well, it's just the singles plus a bunch of album filler. Now, <laughs> well. with the music that I listen to, I've never once really bought an album and thought. Oh, it's just the singles and album filler, no. and I'm yeah. I'm wondering whether people who think like that are listening to maybe a different genre of music, different kind of music. Certainly not the music I'm listening to because I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm into the sort of the long form artists, like the stuff that's was well still is featured in Uncut magazine or the you know, Rolling Stone. But even going back into the '90s, where you know Britpop was raging, I, I'm not saying that was just an amazing thing because it wasn't, but it was. Good because it w- it was all about artists making albums as well as singles, and it was super interesting. And you can do more with an album, right? You can tell a story with an album. You just can't tell yeah. with an EP. And so I've always grown up with the album format as an artistic statement, and never as this idea of well, we're just going to use this as a platform to launch four or five singles off it, and then the rest is just a bit naff. Never. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, whether, no, whether that, yeah it's very foreign to me as well. Mm. I mean, I, I guess I'm reminded of, uh, or it brings to mind the idea of the billboard charts, you know, mm-hmm. which couldn't be more foreign to me in terms of relevance. Right. I mean, it, it's, I, it, it's, it, it's sort of entertaining to look at the billboard charts like in 1969 68 69 when you had just an explosion of great music across genres mm-hmm. and you still had uh jazz free jazz fusion miles coltrane hendrix blah blah you know it was just insane and you look at the billboard charts and it's like uh, this is number one single yummy 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 i've got love in my tummy it's like, yeah okay i get it like so if you if you go that direction, I'm mm. sure the rest of that album was probably not up to the same standard as yummy, yummy, yummy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I guess it is. I'm trying not to be a music snob here because God knows there's enough of it in the audiophile space already. But <laughs> yes, like pop, well, pop music, like pop music in, in the chart focused sense has always really been about the business of getting a single as high as possible and then trying to sell album units on the back of that and promote a tour. At least it was when record labels sort of ruled the world. Yeah, it was. I I just, I guess, yeah, it's because of my, um, my focus. I don't see it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's weird because in the last couple of months, I've really started to dig back into the KLF, but this is like two, Two, like, I think they were almost 30 by the time they did this. Bill Drummond, Jimmy Corti. 
Now, you might know them as the two guys who burnt a million pounds in, <laughs> in Scotland, right, in the, in the 90s. They did this. But before that, in order to make you know many millions of pounds, mm. they found a way to artificially fashion um, hit singles. They had this sort of method. And so they're here with these two sort of like guys that were really too old for Top of the Pops, just goofing off because they'd actually created some very strange, yeah, weirdly sort of formatted pop hits with strange names, weird artist names. I won't go too much into it. Mm. But, and they wrote a book called The Manual, which is like how to have a hit in like six weeks or whatever. And looking back, it look, it, they were, these were two guys that really sort of came from the independent music scene in in Liverpool. So they were part of, um, I forget the name of the band now, but like Bill Drummond had some connection to Julian Cope, I think. I can't remember. And anyway, they, the word I think of is infiltrators. They went on to sort of infiltrate the pop charts and almost subvert it huh. for, for their own ends. And then... They, I think they quit the music business, business in 93 after four years of hit single after hit single, deleted their entire catalogue, went and burnt <laughs> a million quid and then vanished, which is just the, the most perfect story. The yeah, reason absolutely. I'm digging into them again now because they've, they've started putting their stuff on streaming services. But they're really interesting people, you know, because they don't fit that usual sort of manufactured pop star mould because they are the manufacturers, you know, they are the sort of the well, kingmakers, if you like. performance art. Yeah, it's ex exactly that. So uh, anyway, this is a, a diversion. Sorry, I know we got off the track of <laughs> physical formats. You know, one actually, we'll use the KLF as an example, actually, because they made this, it was in my Tunetop um, Wilson review, but there's a CD with all the sheep on the cover and it's um, an album called Chill Out and this is ambient piece and it's, I don't know, 15 tracks. And the 15 tracks are meant to be heard as one piece, really, even though they're subdivided on the CD. Now, to enjoy that properly, you need gapless playback. Mm, okay. Now, yeah. I know it sounds... its I can't believe I'm saying this, but with CDs and with vinyl, we are guaranteed gapless playback because actually on a CD, it's just one track and on a vinyl, there's two tracks, right? Mm. You know, two, two grooves either side. But in the streaming area, we, we've, we've sort of gone backwards and gapless playback is not guaranteed, which therefore contrasts physical formats as having this kind of weird historical advantage, which it, I just think that's bonkers. Yeah. I mean, there, there are other instances of that, uh, of that physical format advantage. And one mm. of the most obvious is uh, lyrics and liner notes. Yes. Yeah. You get that as well. Yeah. Which, yeah. You know, and for a while, early on in, in early on in computer audio, mm. uh, even album artwork was was dicey. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's just funny to me. Like, you know, the idea that okay, here's a new technology that's going to replace this old technology, and it's going to be so much better. But okay, so you're not going to get this. You're not going to get that. You're not going to get this. You're, it's like really like mm. didn't. Don't you think you should have worked that out before you, uh, <laughs> you know, tried to tried to kill the old format? Like I, uh, you know, it'll, whatever. Anyway, yeah. I mean, so this is. I mean, just as an aside, like usually when I'm, well, I don't really recommend gear to people at all. But one thing I would say to anybody considering buying a network streamer is make sure that the way in which you want to use it there is gapless playback. Mm -hmm. So 
There is with Rune. There is with Spotify Connect. There is with Tidal Connect. It's UPnP that's the the problem child here, oh, because yeah. sometimes it's gapless, sometimes it's not, because it's not part of the spec. It depends upon what the manufacturer does at their end as well, right? So it's just like why why are we still suffering this when you know my ye oldie CD and your ye oldie record. <laughs> does gapless playback and you don't even you don't even have to think about it because it was never not a thing until streaming came along yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah upmp was was torture it's well yes generally it is yeah there are a couple of exceptions but yeah, yeah i mean a couple of exceptions but early on you know file folder file tree navigation and all that was mm. just a nightmare i mean imagine if you're you pull out a record from your collection and, and the cover art is missing <laughs> it's gone it's infuriating, yeah. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but, I don't want to, yeah, oops. Well, no, oops. because, I mean, even... Stay positive. <laughs> well, yeah, because you mentioned the liner notes, and, you know, I know that Rune gives us bios and reviews and things like that of albums, but there's still a lot of information in the liner notes of records or, or CDs that I have that Rune doesn't have. Yeah. You know, I'm actually opening this, um, this is called Flawed Genius 2, Julian Cope, Best of the BBC Sessions 83 to 91, which is my favorite area of Julian Cope. Hmm. And what actually, I tell you, this, this CD is quite interesting because it was, it was a fairly limited release in the 90s. I used to own it and then obviously didn't for 15 years or so. And I bought it again last week. It cost me 30 euros to get this damn thing, which is very expensive in the CD world. I know that's sort of standard in the vinyl world, but this has, has like a sort of density of, I'm in a fairly dark room, so it's hard for me to see, but I think there's, yeah, there's some kind of um, story or narrative written by a guy called Mick Houghton about this compilation, which obviously is not going to be part of the Rune experience or the Spotify experience or the title experience. So there's yeah. something here that doesn't exist on streaming. And then, you know, the credits for, you know, who played on what. And that's a fairly, that's only a, like a sort of four page booklet. But I, I guess the more, the further we, you know, the the world or society goes into streaming, the more I appreciate these little things. Which, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I, you know, I think who I can't remember. Maybe it was Robin Hitchcock that said that, you know, we only begin to value things just on the edge of them really truly disappearing. So CDs <laughs> are about to disappear, right? And here I am, like, starting to cling to them. I mean, I think vinyl's pretty safe for the foreseeable future, but... Yeah, I mean, but also, yeah, I mean, the <clears throat> CDs, due to their nature, uh, you, there'll be a, a healthy use market forever. Yeah, I think so, but I think they'll become more of a niche than vinyl eventually. I mean, I think vinyl will keep tracking along as it, as it is, but then again, there may be the CD revival, you know, and give it, give it 10 years. And, you know, just as it really, truly starts to vanish, like there are no more CD stores, there are no, you know, they're not sold on Amazon anymore. Then this sort of cult market will blossom again because there were people yeah. who want to keep it alive. Well, yeah, it was, uh, it was just a few years ago. Uh, I went to uh, an opening of Herb Reichert's, Herb Record had a, a show of his paintings at a gallery mm -hmm. in Hudson, New York. Mm -hmm. uh, and I went up and I was, I actually, you know, I booked a room 
stayed over and there was a used record shop in the in that little town of hudson and mm-hmm. while i was in there shopping around these two women came in and they were stacking up it had to be 50 cds used cds they were piling mm-hmm. them up you know they were because they were going to buy them mm-hmm. and the person running the store you know asked them something about that and they were like we just decided we're so tired of streaming we're done with it we're not streaming anymore we're buying cds again Mm. And they were so excited about this, you know, and again, one aspect of it is you can't buy anything and everything you want. It's right. It's Mm -hmm. unlike streaming. It's a limited selection. Mm -hmm. So it it does give that um, air of uh, discovery, you know, and oh gosh, I found this. You can't believe what I found, you know, certainly Mm. for records. I've experienced that any number of times. You know, you find a special original release of something and it's, mm. you know, it's, it's exciting. And well, streaming, I, uh, clearly, you know, that does not exist. That whole but, kind of experience of, of, of uh, something being special, hard to find, and so on and so forth, pr- kind of precious, uh, has been disassociated from music, which, you know, of course, from my perspective, it's a shame. Well, I think generally most things in life are more interested when they're limited in supply, right? Because let's say, for example, that all pizza was (laughs) infinitely abundant and free forever. You'd find that more and more people would just begin to hate pizza. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right. Because it's, even though people love pizza (laughs) or I don't know, I mean, I'm not a huge fan, but like, it's just one of those things where the limited supply nature just makes it that little bit more interesting. You know, it is, I I find, I mean, I've spoken about this before as well. The paralysis of trying to choose something from a streaming service, just overwhelming. Sometimes I'm like, I've got 50 million songs to choose from and I can't even think of one. (laughs) <laughs> because usually, usually I'm, I'm trying to hunt for an album, right? Which is yeah. why I love that Discover tab in Rune that yeah. allows me to rediscover my library. Yes. But, but more than that, I love having a wall of CDs that I can stand in front of. And sometimes I do stare at it blankly and go, I don't know what to play. But most of the time I can find something and go, oh, yeah, I haven't played that for ages or I haven't played that. And it's that visual reminder, you know, on a daily basis because it's in my house and then my pile of records is here right next to me. Like I can just go and the browsing, you know, browsing your own collection is kind of yeah. fun, right? Yeah. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you organize your CDs and how are they, if so, how are they organized? Oh yeah. So when I was buying them at a furious rate in 2018, I was just piling them onto these Ikea shelves. Yeah. But over Christmas, when the the second lockdown here in Germany kind of kicked in in earnest, I was like, right, that's enough. I need to alphabetize these. So I've done about two thirds of them. So all the non-electronic stuff. So the, actually, I've actually owned more non-electronic music CDs than I do electronic. Mm. Um, so I've got two towers of electronic stuff that still needs alphabetizing. But I used to be so anal retentive about this and have everything perfectly organized. But my vinyl collection here is, let me have a look, one, two, three, four, nine, ten Kallax squares, right? Okay. And none, none of it is alphabetized at all. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it actually drives me crazy sometimes when I'm trying to find something. <laughs> but, you know, it's just sometimes, but then it, it, 
if it's all alphabetized, then it looks the same. You kind of get that sort of blindness. It's almost like um, night blindness or, you know what I mean? Like when you just can't see the wood for the trees. with your Yeah, well, you don't thing. have to uh, search. Right. You don't have to, you know, that, yeah, you could just go to what you want. And sometimes, you know, having to rifle through 50 records uh, mm. will change your mind. <laughs> about well yeah because you you you're, you're searching for one thing and be like hang on a minute i've forgotten about this bad boy yeah, absolutely. i'm gonna play this right this absolutely and that's the same with with shopping you know back mm. to this store shopping physically flipping through things you know one of uh, it used to be the case that i went to uh prince and record exchange once mm. a month mm -hmm. and i would only shop the the new uh what, I can't believe I can't think of the word. You know what I mean? The, new, the bins of, of new records that they got in. But you mean new arrivals? Records. New arrivals. Yeah. Oh, right. And yeah, well, that, I guess, uh, yeah. So I would go once a month. Um, and because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the turnover there was so great that those new arrival bins, it was all new. Mm. Um, and so I didn't go with the, uh, the intention of buying a specific record or records. I would just hunt and peck so you know that um experience leads to at least in my case led to discovery because mm -hmm. some things i would buy just because of the cover mm. and what they said about about it on the back on the notes on the back really you know, having never heard it with no way to hear it just be like, yeah, I'll get this. Because, you know, we're really in those bins, you could buy records for five bucks or. Okay. Yeah, I guess we don't. Well, when I lived in Australia, we never had a place like that at all, really, to speak of, like a big secondhand record store. Yeah. And I, I had to go to Japan or the USA to really kind of get that experience. But even then, by the time, like mid 2010s, when I was going to Amoeba Records in when it was in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, yeah, they knew what things were worth. There were there were really no bargains to be had. I don't think anymore in the secondhand market. But yeah, well, eBay and such originally eBay ruined a lot of rec used record stores because they would price. Uh, they would look on eBay to gauge value, which whatever doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense to me. But mm. Princeton doesn't do that still to this day. Right, they don't. They don't do that, so it's it's a a last outpost of the reasonable. Okay, so I've got one more advantage that I think actually is probably, yeah, probably my f f yeah number one advantage of physical formats right now and this particular time that we're living in, mm. and that's that when I play, I'll use CD because I'm stumping for CDs. Right, when I play a CD, it's a private experience. It's not being tracked by uh, anybody right no one knows i'm playing yeah. you know way down in the rust bucket by neil young apart from my neighbor but nobody knows and i i guess the, hmm. you know the the more we realize how we're being tracked by social media and cookies yeah. and all these kinds of things the, the more i value that privacy in such a small way but i'm like no this is fantastic hmm. no one knows i'm doing this i think that's really important yeah yeah, I guess in in part, I get you know. Of course, it's just a personal thing, but mm. my 
I don't sweat my online privacy. I, 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 I don't even know if it was really a conscious decision, mm. but I just don't sweat it. In other words, like, okay, track me. You know, it's fine. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I find it annoying that, you know, when I'm looking at a new pair of boots, when I go back to Facebook, I'm presented with all these ads for shitty boots because, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, uh, the algorithms haven't quite yet figured out that all boots aren't boot or aren't the same. But yeah, but it's just a, it's an annoyance. I mean, I don't feel encroached upon, or but you know, mm. that's perhaps it's perhaps naive. But more to the like for me, uh, when I play a record, I, I'm literally disconnected. Mm-hmm. I'm not checking my phone. I'm not che- you know. I'm not checking email. I'm not checking you know, comments on Instagram or I am disconnected lights are out and I am solely focused Mm. on, and I'm devoting an, at least an album's worth of time to this experience Mm. and in part forced by the format, right. You Mm. know, length of time and having to flip it over You know, you can't just put on a record and go do laundry <laughs> or, mm-hmm. you know, or start get lost in emails because, mm. you know, you have to, you have to take care of it. So, you know, that, uh, time restri- restraints and the, and the force of focus is really, uh, a, a welcome, a welcome intrusion mm. on, on the clutter, you know, an endless clatter of, of being connected. See, I'm very guilty of, you know, doing emails while I'm listening to music or doing something work-related or a bit of social media. I am. but And this is the weird thing. I'm less likely to do other things if I'm wearing headphones, especially Mm. especially Mm. if I'm outside. So if I'm walking somewhere and Mm. i got a pair of headphones on and I'm listening to a record, it has my undivided attention. Because obviously the walking is just like breathing, isn't it? It's an automatic, almost like a reflex. Mm. At home, there are a lot of things to distract me, and because I'm, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk about how much work I have because I'm not. I don't want to play the victim on that at all. Like I just have a lot to do, and I, I'm not very good at. I'm slow, right? I'm a slow. I'm slow at video video editing. I'm slow at podcast editing. I'm slow at writing. It takes me a long time, so that often encroaches upon my listening time so sometimes Hmm. the two cross over but on the other hand i'm not somebody who would in you know like i don't know like play music as the soundtrack to i don't know cooking like if i'm cooking i'm I'm cooking (laughs) or maybe i'm listening to a podcast or something like that yeah and i'm i you know, I used to be, I mean, like we talked about earlier, like music is a social thing with friends and friends coming over and, you know, like scattering albums or CDs all over the floor. I really yeah. miss that. I really miss that. I really, yeah, I really do. So do, so do I. That's, I, like, I, that, that's a serious yeah. hole in my life. Yeah. Um, because as you grow older, like all your friends scatter around the country, the world, whatever. Right. And I'm the, I'm the friend that did that to all my other friends back in the UK. So, yeah. you know, I guess the solitary listening experience is very common in the audiophile space. And 
giving a record your undivided attention, I think is extremely important. And in fact, I think that's pivotal to being an audiophile. It's not having amazing gear. It's about how much attention you give to that thing that you're listening to. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, yes, I would certainly agree with that. But yeah, I mean, because, you know, I, mm. I think it's, um, it's not a controversial notion to suggest that the more time we devote to anything, mm. the more we care about the quality of the experience. Yes. In other words, I don't, I'm not a bike rider, right? I'm not a biker. Mm -hmm. Bicycle, you know, just not. So yeah, we have a bike in our garage. Mm -hmm. It's a piece of shit, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? I right. mean, but you know, if you're going out and doing 15 miles a day, you care about the quality of your bike. Yes, because you're spending more time on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just so it's absolutely, you know, that there's it, this is a fluid thing. It's a, you know, if you really are into watching movies at home, you know, you don't have a 12-inch screen. Right. It's just the way it goes. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, if you're really um, invested in listening to music as an activity unto itself, you begin to care about the quality of the experience, and then mm -hmm. you do something about it, as mm -hmm. you do with everything else. You know, if you're a chef, you care about what you cook in. Me, it's like, all right, you know, do I have any tin foil around? <laughs> I can, you know. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying. I mean, mm. it's like, but it's it's so like common sense. But well, I'm saying, but and, uh, we don't want to go there into that negative land. But you know, there is this uh, uh, sentiment out there that, uh, for some reason, that listening to music isn't worth the effort. You know, it's not mm. like oh god, oh audiophiles, oh god. You know, but I like I said, I, we don't need to go there, but. Well, here's though, actually, it is connected to what you've just said, but here's an interesting thought that ties back to my sort of digging into the KLF and Bill mm. Drummond, right? So before I get to that, in 2018, when I was at Rocky Mountain, I interviewed a whole bunch of different um, audio engineers, like on a video edit, interviewed. And mm. when I was doing my interview with Sean Casey, <laughs> I suggested that maybe because it was the idea that nothing nothing is forever and i don't mean that in the sort of like in our lifetime sense i mean maybe across a couple of lifetimes things you know things fade away and i was suggesting that maybe we're coming towards the end of recorded music being a very very crucial art form to i, I don't know to the zeitgeist to society to mm. to the mainstream because and hmm. I know that live music is more popular than it ever was, but I'm not talking about live music. I'm talking about listening to music at home or, you know, anywhere where you can do it in a sort of private space or whatever, you know, even behind headphones. Yeah. And, and that nowadays, and you only have to look at streaming playlists for this to see that there's a, I don't know, like a barbecue playlist. There's a, a Sunday chill playlist. There's a <laughs> study playlist. There's a cooking playlist, right? It's music as a soundtrack to other act other primary activities. Yeah. And I think we're moving more and more in that direction and, and more and more, I mean, as a society, I don't mean audiophiles, but hmm. as moving more and more away from music being 
sorry, listening to music at home being an activity. A in, secondary. Uh, yeah, in and in of itself, right? Now, here's, yeah. the, here's the kicker. Is that last week I was watching an interview with Bill Drummond of the KLF, and he was talking about exactly the same thing. He's like, well, I think we're coming to the end of it. Like, we're going to look back and say the second half of the 20th century was really the sort of the golden age of recorded music. And he might have a point because it really, things really did tip with Napster. You know, and people mm. could say, well, it's a disruptor and whatever. And I think even now we're, we're in, in a, at a time where we're starting to look a bit, look, look backwards at record labels and massive record contracts and, you know, $3 million records, which w wouldn't exist nowadays because no one's spending $3 million on a record, um, is that th those times are gone. And the, the idea that somebody's going to invest millions of dollars into a record being made because they know that they can, they can recoup afterwards because people will be buying it to listen to at home. Or mm. in the car is another one, actually, because the car is a very fantastic place to listen to music. It's just yes. brilliant, right? And yeah. I've never really worried about how good my, oh, not not too often how good my sound system is. I don't have a car here, but like even in Australia, I didn't care because I just loved it. You know, you're just driving along, you're moving and you feel like the music is pushing you along as well. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> yeah. I can't remember which writer it was in the 90s who said like basically he saw his car as a hi-fi system that took him from A to B, which I thought, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. And, yeah. you know, if ever I buy a car again, it's gonna. I'm gonna go with with that sort of approach, because if you can't enjoy music when you're sitting in a car, like where can you really listen to it? Because that's where you're more likely to sort of switch out and of yourself and start singing or tapping your foot or whatever. Because I guess you're not you're the you're you're driving a car, so you can't really be doing anything else. But driving a car is almost it's a learned thing, so you don't really have to. Th it's not. Um, is you don't have to give it your undivided attention. Yeah, I was going to say it was not a frontal lobe thing, but I don't know whether that's the yeah, right, yeah. right part of the brain. Um, but anyway, sorry. So this is, <laughs> I know this is a controversial idea that hmm. music being made for the primary activity of sitting and listening at home or sitting and listening you know, somewhere else might be on the way out. And I don't mean hmm. on the way out in the next five years, but maybe in the next 10, 15, 20. Sean Casey was horrified at this idea. He was like, he was really <laughs> appalled by it. Um, oh, I he, could see that. Yeah. Right. He and I didn't agree, but it was just like this idea because, and the reason I, the, my reasoning was, was that we no longer sit in, say, a room with 15, 20 other people to have a small string ensemble play a piece for us. I mean, that was, you know, 500 well, years ago, that may have been the way to listen to music, right? Sure. This yeah. is before, before the big sort of concert halls. Um, but that that way of listening to music died out. And then, you know, orchestral concert halls became huge, and that's where most people consume their music. And that hasn't died out, but it's it's become this sort of niche mm, activity, well, right? Yeah. It's not a mainstream activity at all. And I think that, you know, listening to music at home through like a pair of stereo speakers might go the same way. People are going to think I'm such a whack job now, aren't they? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Well, I don't. It, I have I have no um, footing to to gauge this, mm. other than you know my own obviously my own experience. Right. We have two daughters mm -hmm. who are now in their twenties, mm -hmm. and uh, 
our younger daughter graduated from college just uh, two, let's just say two years ago. Mm-hmm. So we all went down uh, to South Carolina mm-hmm. for the graduation. And w- the night prior, we met in her apartment. She had a bunch of friends over. It was a party. And they had, Nicole, our daughter, had this uh, Bluetooth speaker sitting mm-hmm. in the middle of the room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while they were doing other stuff, they were all taking turns playing songs. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, God, yeah, I love that one. Wait, wait, okay, let me go next. I have the perfect thing to go next. Mm-hmm. You know, so I guess the reason why I'm sharing that is like, so from my perspective, it's like music is absolutely intertwined, at least, you know, our daughters and their friends' lives, the way it was in mine, certainly mm-hmm. at that age. You know, because it wasn't like uh, you know. Oh God, you've got to hear this. Uh, this is the uh, this is the reissue of Kind of Blue. <laughs> you mm. know what I'm saying, right? This is relevant music to them, not only for music's sake, but for social interaction's mm-hmm. sake and for relevance in their lives' sake, and mm-hmm. meaning. And I mean, it, clearly, this was important beyond entertainment. You know, I mean, this was you know, and that, and that is the case with music, and I would hope it remains to be the case that it has that you know these these socializing uh powers if you will lack of a better word well that's how you find your so you find your tribe as a young person isn't it absolutely right absolutely i'll never forget this when i was a kid i was in grammar school and uh we were at uh, lunch, which we were let out on the uh, playground Mm -hmm. which was just a pay it was a parking lot but in any event, I'll never forget this. We're all out there, and this buzz started to travel around the from group to group to group because we're all in our own little little splintered groups. Mm-hmm. But this word started to buzz around. You could see it, like this kid would come in, like so. There's some important news spreading throughout mm-hmm. the the school out on the on the playground. And when that news came, it was, hey, there's this new kid that just showed up. It's his first day, Gary, and he likes Beethoven. you know i you know it's just it was just like for like for for me i was like that is so cool like i've got to meet this guy you know but part of the reason why the news was buzzing around was what what a nerd right 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 yeah right but yeah so yeah social i mean shit you know you you could you could get beat up for uh wearing the wrong t-shirt back mm. in the day, you know, of the, of a band or something. Yeah. I mean, mm. it was tribal. So maybe music is moving more to headphones. I mean, I guess in, in terms of where, where the mm. kids, young people listen to music now, right? Like, you know, I, mean, I don't know what else to say, but like pe- people in their twenties, right. Are they, they don't have hi-fi systems at home. The majority of mm. them don't. So where are they kind of getting, that important where where are they spending the time to know about the songs that they like in which they can share them in a group situation yeah well it's spotify headphones for nicole right you know our other daughter has her own apartment so they have a sonos system spread out around that uh, apartment can we i just want to drag it back to one more question for you about physical formats yeah sure because this is a bit of a spicy one actually like how do you feel about the cassette tape you know, it's funny. I was going to bring up the cassette tape earlier when we were talking about price mm. and Bandcamp, mm-hmm. and it's an interesting thing that I've seen 
on any number of occasions where let's say the download is ten dollars mm-hmm. and the cassette is like thirteen or fourteen dollars mm-hmm. they're almost like begging you to buy the cassette so i'm a, i well i don't have a tape deck mm-hmm. so and i'm and that is for really the main reason i don't have a tape deck is so i don't start buying tapes because i know myself and is that because it's it's that thing of like owning something that very few other people do it's the scarcity thing right well it's in part the scarcity thing but also this harkens again back to my childhood uh and the cassette tape was the way we shared music mm-hmm. we handed off music we created playlists for our friends mm-hmm. you know this was this the cassette tape represented the most social aspect of sharing music you're talking not about the pre-recorded cassette tape right you're talking about yeah, the cassettes correct, you yeah. made for other people which is a, a slightly different thing even though it's the same format a slightly different thing yeah but so yeah that i was getting around to but so, so for pre-recorded Sorry. tapes you know in in a lot of cases Many of the most fringe records came out on cassette only first back in the day. And what I'm thinking, like the best example I could think of, off the top of my head, it's 68, I guess, 69, 69, I think it was Mm. 68. Anyway, Peter Bratzman Octet, uh, Machine Gun, you know, that recording, which is just... uh, that's going to have to be a rebuy on vinyl mm-hmm. <laughs> as I bring it up. But anyway, that came out first on cassette tape, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's like music that didn't have a wide audience, mm-hmm. you know, and they certainly didn't have a label and they, you know, so there was no budget to, to do anything, but so also another favorite to this day, uh, it's one of the few, uh, records, uh, uh, numerous records I kept is a band called Soviet France. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first, uh, the first, at least the first release they put out, if not the first and second were cassette only. And again, it's for the, that same reason, you know, so essentially, uh, put out self-produced, right. Mm-hmm. Cause it was cheap and affordable to do that. Mm. So there's a, a certain rom- nostalgia and romanticism for me attached to cassette, but it is the case that there is still music being released today, cassette only. Mm. So you know, of course, it's very fringy, but if you want it, <laughs> that's the that's the only way to get it. So I one of the, I think the guy in my well, he used to work in my local cafe. He started buying cassettes. He loves it. He loves what was it? He was into synthwave. And was buying yeah. loads of loads of synthwave releases on on cassette, but I guess if I think back to my, I did buy a few pre-recorded cassettes in the eighties, mainly because they had more tracks than the vinyl, and I wanted to hear those songs. But, yeah. but that was only two years before my dad bought that CD player, so I didn't have to sort of suffer the what I I even knew back then the cassettes didn't sound as good as the CD or the record. Like you can, you <laughs> yeah, can, well. you can tell obviously, right. Or rather yeah, I, well. it was obvious to me. And I, ca- no, actually what it was is I cared because some people probably notice it and just don't care. But so if, if I kind of borrowed a record, made a copy on cassette for me to listen to at home and then gave the record <laughs> yeah. back to a friend, right? which we all did. Right. Yes. But it would always itch at me that I didn't have either the original cassette 
the original CD or the original vinyl copy because I knew that any of those three would sound better because the second generation generation copy always sounded inferior to well to my to my ears. There we are to my ears. Um, well, certainly, yeah. yeah. I mean, when I you know growing up. Uh, Cassettes were not about sound quality. No. We re- we would record over that same cassette that we shared, you know, a hundred times. Mm. So you know, it sounded like Led Zeppelin was playing at the bottom of the sea. So, you know, and you could hear the waves. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, but, I n- uh, know that anybody who's sort of you know our age or maybe even a bit younger remembers making cassette tapes for somebody else as being probably the pinnacle of musical fandom in many ways, because you wanted to share it. You loved it so much. You wanted to share it with somebody else. And that yeah, may, have, and you, may, may have been a romantic interest or may have just been a friend, right? It didn't really matter too much, but I just thought it was so, I mean, the movie High Fidelity, the original one with John Cusack and the book that upon mm. which is based is really pivots around this story, right? But yeah, yeah. well, I, I, I'm, you know, now I'm, I'm thinking back to the like making those tapes, and you would paint, at least I would painstakingly write out on that little cardboard sheet mm-hmm. in very tiny handwriting that you know could only fit in those lines mm. uh, um, what it was up, what it was on it, you know, titles, band names, blah 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 blah. But just uh, you know, I do have to add on the sound quality and cassette tape thing. Mm. And nostalgia. I also had eight tracks, and I have no nostalgia for eight tracks. I'll, I'll say that right up front. Yeah, I don't remember them. And there weren't even a thing when I was a little kid. I just don't remember yeah, no, seeing them. Sorry, they just weren't. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I mean, I have a friend who's a big mini disc fetishist, Sheesh. and yeah. he swears by a lot of these, even the early mini disc players. But and I, and I also lived above a guy in the UK in 99, 2000, who was, who didn't, yeah, he used to borrow my CDs and then just copy them to Minidisc. And that was his way of doing it. But I looked mm. at the Minidisc and just thought, well, yeah, it's going to sound better than tape, but why? <laughs> you know, just some things just don't grab you, do they? And that format just yeah, didn't really grab me at all. Maybe because I think the pre-recorded market was so weak. So you knew it really wasn't going to be around for long on, well, that was my summation at the time. Mm. But cassettes were huge. I mean, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, is that the CD did not replace vinyl in the marketplace. It actually saved us from cassettes. Because, <laughs> because no, yeah. because when, yeah. when the CD launched, well, now when it started to gain traction, maybe sort of 85, 86, mm. yep. CD, sorry, cassette tapes were the number one format by quite a margin. They were you know, beginning to eclipse vinyl substantially. And, you know, in terms of, you know, number, you know, units sold. And this, when the CD came along, it obliterated the cassette market in a few years and did us all a favor, I think, in the long run, even though, well, yeah. Yeah, I would, yeah. You know. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. And, I mean, the, you know, yeah. the funny thing, you know, of course there's this, always there's uh, uh, this super personal aspect of, our experience. So, mm. nineteen eighty-five uh, was when I ended up in Vermont uh, in college. Mm-hmm. So, super limited budget. I went up with the the stereo I had, which was a turntable. Mm-hmm. So there was a little uh, record shop, used record shop in uh, 
Williamstown, Massachusetts, which was right across the border from Bennington. And, uh, you know, that's, I could, I, I could, li- I could visualize that at right now, that mm-hmm. shop. And that's where I, I was listening at home to WFMU on the radio, which is where I discovered all these bands like, uh, Throbbing Gristle, Psychic TV, you know, mm-hmm. I just said Neubauten in that little record shop in Williamstown. That's the kind of music that he had there, the records. So, mm-hmm. you know, I absolutely uh, see that, you know, there is that thing, right? Like I can remember uh, even when they were taking all my records away, like as they were, as they were going through them, I was like, oh yeah, that one I got, you know, here this year i remember mm-hmm. it was blah 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 there's like so much story attached to these physical things that you buy mm-hmm. that can bring you back in time uh you know to the moment you you acquired them first listened to them and i'm sorry to say that doesn't exist with streaming right no I mean, the, it's like because there is no time and place no no it's vapor yeah well but not not just that but like is that because because of streaming because it's such a global thing and i know there are sort of you know like spotify in australia is different slightly different spotify in germany but the interface is still the same the majority of the catalog is still the same is that because of it's the ultimate in the sort of global hi-fi experience which therefore has sort of eroded somewhat Mm. the the localized experiences right because pre-streaming when you were buying physical formats you had to go to the local record stores and you really felt more involved with those stores as point you know cultural turning posts if you like Hmm. in those countries and they had local flavor for well not just countries but cities as well yeah and so the 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 music sort of pivoted around those points and therefore Hmm. i mean i can still remember you know obviously the record stores i used to go to when I was like 15, 16, all the way through to, you know, when I went, when I moved to Australia. But it's funny you mentioned like the, the, the objects themselves, because I used to keep the price stickers on the CD covers just, <laughs> just to remind me where I bought it, because that was part uh, of, part uh. of the experience. They used to drive my mate, Steve nuts. He's like, why, why can't you just take it off? I'm like, no, because that's part of the experience. That price sticker tells me where I bought it and huh. might trigger a memory of, you know, how I felt that day, which I know yeah. is just, it sounds so silly and trite to say that now, but. Well, you know. I I don't know. I really don't know. You know, there's, I'm just, I'm reminded of this book um, written by this professor from McGill, whose mm-hmm. name escapes me at the moment, mm-hmm. but he's written, he's a, he's a neuroscientist, but he, he, he's written a number of books whose focus is the music in the brain. Mm-hmm. But one of the points he made and one of them, I'm sorry, I'm being so vague. I just can't remember his name. But anyway, one of the points he made in one of the books was <clears throat> with music, especially songs that are meaningful to us, as we're growing up, because it's in those those formative years when music essentially makes its largest impact yeah. on us. Yeah, that it you know this was uh, through study and blah 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 test case. Um, the more you would repeat listening to those favorite songs mm. from your youth, uh, the, the the connection to that time and place faded. 
So over time, if mm. you know, if you're a Bruce Springsteen fan when you're 18 and all you listen to is Bruce Springsteen until you're 60, mm-hmm. you know, that connection to that time and place when it made that biggest connection fades. Huh. As opposed to if you only listen to it once a year or something, that that physical stamp in your in your brain that is a time stamp, if you will, mm. uh, remains stronger. And I always thought, you know, that's kind of a really interesting idea i mean yeah i guess that's what i i mean because i have so much music that I, I can't not play things but once a year and it is like i'll have a like a bowie week and i'll have a talking heads week and i don't know tom waits week nick cave week right you know like these things tend to kind of appear they appear in clusters prefab sprout um world party i'll go and play their first three albums you know like across three days or whatever hmm. um you know, the, just, yeah. I, I, and th- every time I play those records, it reminds me of when I was 16 or 18. I mean, if they're old enough, you know. But, yeah, I, I guess I don't really have that connection. Oh, maybe with some early electronic music. But the electronic music I listen to now is completely de- – no, actually, it's not devoid of place because some of the stuff I buy, I, I bought, mm. really is a function of living in in this city. You know, like when I first moved mm. here, I, I went and bought a whole bunch of – um, Berlin dub techno. Yeah. Because sure, I just right, was like, right. I, I got to submerge myself in this stuff and it was so much fun. And yeah. I guess maybe that's the new experiences that are really much harder to ink as you get older. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I, 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 at least I found, uh, you know, one of the, one of the biggest stamps that still uh, remains strong is, is seeing live music. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, Again, uh, once we're through COVID, I look very much. Look, I very much miss going to see live shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and sir, you know, I'm I'm kind of voracious. I have a voracious appetite for new music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, in part, it, you know, it could perhaps be this paranoia, you know, built upon that what I that story I just shared about the person whose name I can't remember from McGill, but, mm. you know, this, uh, to my mind, well, we all know that as you get older, if you learn languages, it helps your brain. I'm, I'm, I just have this unfounded belief, you know, that if we continue to feed ourselves new music, uh, it, it just helps our brain from stagnate. Yes. Yeah, it does. And yeah. so, you know, uh, and I guess, you know, these, by, by buying records you know right by buying this physical thing that acts as that extra stamp if you mm-hmm. will uh, you know since we're using that word mm. right it's that rem- it's like a bookmark it's like this bookmark right yes. you want it you want to be reminded like this is something special i i want to have it in my home mm-hmm. because i want uh, you know i it's a it, like, maybe bookmark i'll just use that right I, I want it. It's a, like I want it to stand out and and separate itself from the sea of endless streaming, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that actually connects to some other point that I I'd forgotten I wanted to make. Actually, was that the stuff you own tells visitors to your house who you are? Yes. Well, yeah. Right. In a, yeah. Sure. In the streaming age, you have no music to show. See, I'm, I don't know. It's funny, isn't it? Because I used to love making compilation cassettes because there was a real, 
you had to invest time in that and real thought and care and everything, right? It, it, it would take an entire afternoon to do a cassette. Whereas a playlist, you could, you could do one in three minutes if you really wanted to. There's, yeah. there's no time investment. And I, I just don't feel the same because there's no time. There's no easy. It's, it's too easy to make one. And therefore, where's, I, where's, yeah. where's the value? Like, I don't know. Maybe. I know, I agree. But that, again, I'm, I guess I'm really kind of relaying uh, information from observing our daughters mm-hmm. you know, and their friends. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the way they share music. Spotify, playlists, you know. Yeah, okay. But do they, do they, do they make, like, just, you know, your daughter make a playlist for her friend and go, hey, I've made you this playlist? I don't. I've never asked that question. <laughs> well, no, because I mentioned... Yeah, I, I, I tend to doubt it. I mean, right. I, I would imagine she makes them for herself. Mm. Because the remake of High Fidelity um, that was aired a couple of years ago... No, I have not seen it. It's no. a really good, actually really, really good. And it's set in the now. So CDs and cassette tapes were supplanted by or swapped out for streaming and playlists. And they actually handled it really well. And it almost convinced me as to the, you know, on the, on the value of a playlist and how important it can be almost, mm. which I thought was really kind of cool. Yeah. So it was, but that's, that's also about the enthusiasm or the fandom of music because of, because Zoe Kravitz, her character owns a, a record store and she oh, has okay. two sort of fairly unique um, employees, but it's interesting. And it centers around obviously physical formats being vinyl um, CDs don't even get a look in, which is okay, you know, because I know that probably the, the most old man of all formats now is the CD, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because because if you're buying vinyl, you could be a you could be young and hip. If you're buying cassettes, you're almost certainly young and hip, you know. But if you're buying CDs, it's like, yeah, good luck with that one, Dad. You know, it's that kind of thing, right? So, well, I don't think Urban Outfitters is selling CD players. I'm not sure. I'm just saying. No, they're not, but I'm probably you know, only two weeks from buying a pair of chinos. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure they're pleated. I'm just saying. Pleated chinos, yeah, socks and sandals, and um, I'm off to Rocky Mountain Audio Fest. All you need next is a side part. <laughs> the side parting that you noticed in my last video. Yeah. Can't help it. Like, it's just what happens when I shave my head, you know? It's, just, it's nature's way, Michael, you know? All right, look, let's... Let, let's let's bow Are, out here because did we, we finished yeah yeah we, we we should we should wrap it here because this has been a long podcast it's been a lot of fun thank you very much michael for taking the time to chat today oh my pleasure as always yeah you have been listening to the darko audio podcast with me john darko and twittering machines is michael lavonia this episode was produced by nick mccorriston and music came from Ben Pitt.